0: So we are in uh, Luke, the fifth fifth chapter. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there, momentarily we will be, um, uh, I'm sorry, the fourth chapter. We had not finished chapter four yet, have we? So we are at verse 38 through the end of the chapter. We almost finished that section last week, and then we'll go to chapter five. Let's pray, and then we will get started. Father, thank you for this good day, and as we uh, look forward to the day, we certainly thank you for the rain. Uh, rarely, where we live, do we complain about rain in June, so we're very grateful. We're very grateful for all the blessings you poured out upon us. We're grateful for your word and the joyous privilege that's ours of studying together. In these unusual days, keep us safe in the palm of your hand. I pray you'll remind us of opportunities that uniquely fit the season when we might minister to the needs of others. And I'm thankful, Father, for everyone who's been able to join with us today. pray your blessing upon each one and their families. I pray that your word will come alive to us in these moments and speak to our hearts in the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, we're at verse 38 through 44. I'm not going to read those again because we really have almost uh, finished. But that section is Jesus doing healing, retreating, and preaching. We've already talked about his healing of his mother-in-law, of Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, how it was instant and, and total. And then what we find is Jesus retreating. Now, this Uh, Several times in the Gospels, we find Jesus going off to pray or retreating away from the crowds and the pressure of of the constant, constant crowds pursuing him, the demands on his time for teaching, yes, but really the greater interest of the crowds would see miracles. They wanted to see miracles of healing or power power over the demonic and so jesus needed to retreat so I, I guess i my only thought about that is if jesus needed to retreat as the son of god then there are times when you and i need to retreat also and uh, pull away from things for a bit to pray and study and reflect and rest so god gifts our bodies with an unusual ability to tell us that our bodies, and our minds. So when that sense comes over you, then understand that is the voice of the Lord saying, slow down for a few moments. It may be a day. It may be a week. It may just be a few moments. But slow down, take a deep breath, pray, read Scripture, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and maybe take a good old-fashioned nap if such is called for. But Jesus retreated. And that's important for us to remember. Uh, The people pursued him uh, relentlessly. And so we find at the end of, uh, of that chapter that he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And the crowds pursued him relentlessly. So he would leave and go to another place. And the crowds were there and they continued to follow him. So that pretty well wraps up chapter four, and we come to chapter five, which is a very exciting chapter. There are uh, several different sections to this chapter, each one very exciting, I think, and hope you'll agree. So let's do this. Let's read verses one through eleven. And what I've uh, I've given the title to these eleven verses: preaching, fishing, and calling. Preaching, fishing, and calling. So let's see how that plays out. Verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, we know that as the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, you know, Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Uh, that is a that is one of the great events in the ministry of Jesus. This probably took place at Capernaum, uh, obviously on the Sea of Galilee. The crowds, as Jesus was speaking from the shoreline, the crowds kept getting closer and closer and closer and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it became hard for Jesus to speak so that they could all hear. So, you know, maybe you've been in a situation where you have to step back from a crowd in order to be heard by everybody. It might be something as simple as coaching a team with a bunch of kids standing around you, and so that they can all hear, you have to take a few steps back so that the entire group can hear. Well, that's what Jesus had here. He needed to step back, but there's not much place to go because the water is right there. He already quite possibly was standing ankle deep in the water as he was speaking. And so Jesus uh, noted that there are two boats there, two fishing boats. One of them, the scripture tells us, belongs to Simon Peter. And the other, as we discover, likely belonged to Zebedee, the father of uh, John and uh, James. So Jesus gets into Simon Peter's boat and asks that they push the boat out a bit, far enough from the shore, so that now Jesus could speak and be heard by everybody, plus he was no longer threatened to be pushed completely into the water by the size of the crowd. So Jesus sat down in the stern of the boat and continued his teaching. To, to the crowd. How many people were there? I don't know, but I suspect it was quite a crowd in order for Jesus to have to do what he did. Then when he's finished teaching, uh, Jesus gives instructions to Simon Peter and says, push out, drop your nets, and you'll catch a bunch of fish. Now, Simon is still just getting acquainted with jesus he's seen enough already and heard enough already to amaze him and he's becoming a follower of jesus but peter reminds us with his words that he's the pro when it comes to fishing and jesus you're not so i just want you to know that we've been out here doing this all night long and we didn't catch anything I would love to have been standing there watching this conversation. I don't know body language. I don't know facial expression. Uh, I can imagine maybe Jesus just gave Peter the look. You know, maybe you remember when your mother or father would give you the look and you knew, okay, uh, I better do what I've just been told to do. Well, maybe Jesus gave Peter the look. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, Peter said, okay, in spite of the fact that we fished all night, in spite of the fact that we didn't catch anything, and the implication is this is going to be more of the same. We're going to cast our nets, go to all this trouble, and nothing's going to happen. But because you've asked, I'll do what you've asked me to do. So they push out a bit farther. And uh, in order to pacify Jesus and then drops the nets down and what happens? Well, so many fish, they catch so many fish in the net that the net begins, begins to break. Now that's a lot of fish because those nets were strong, designed to catch big catches of fish. And uh, you're familiar enough with nets. I don't know how much you've ever worked with nets. But but you know, they don't break easily. They're designed to be strong and to contain a lot of fish in this case. But so many fish were in the net that uh, the net begins to break. And uh, Peter, no doubt, is able to look down and see the churning of the water. And he knows there are a lot more fish to be caught. So he summons his friends uh, john and james uh, to come over and help which they do and they caught so many fish that it looked like both boats were going to sink uh, so you can imagine that that is a lot of fish and peter upon seeing this suddenly realizes he is in the presence apparently the realization he is in the He is in the presence of God Almighty. Uh, In the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus, sweeps over Peter in in this uh, in this moment. The, The effect of the catch of the fish is stunning in Peter's life, and suddenly there is this sense of unworthiness on the part of Peter, feeling he is absolutely unworthy to be in the presence. Of Jesus. It reminds me of the words of, uh, of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 uh, when Isaiah had his vision where he said in the year King Uzziah died I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphims each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory and here's the reaction of isaiah at the sound of their voices the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke and woe to me i cried i am ruined for i'm a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen i think that is the sense that has just swept over peter he is in the presence of lord almighty and he is stunned and suddenly there is an awareness in the presence of holy the holy one jesus there is this sense of i'm not worthy to be anywhere close to you and so he falls down and and calls out to jesus saying those very words i'm not worthy to be here with you i found a quote uh, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing this lesson, uh, quote by John Calvin that I thought was worth repeating. So here, here's what he said, man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. I like that quote. Um, So I share it with you. So Simon realizes I'm a sinner in the presence of the Holy One. I'm unworthy. And I would suggest to you that until we come to that place, uh, we can't be saved. Until we come to the place in our lives where we say, I am a sinner. I, I, I am unworthy of your doing anything for me, but I cry out in mercy. And ask you to save me, forgive my sins and I repent and I turn. And so this, this is one of those awesome events in the life of Jesus. Now Jesus stunning reply. I mean, Peter's stunned. So here comes another shock, shocking statement as Jesus replies to him, come with me and you will fish for people. Now, uh, Peter agrees to do that, likely with very little understanding of what this means, but with a sense of the presence of God Almighty and knowing that at this moment, I must do what Jesus has asked me to do. And so I'm going with him. And he did. And, of course, you know, Peter's life was never the same again. Uh, how many of you, uh, um, you can raise your hand or, or put your clap sing, signal on your screen. Whatever. How many of you saw the series, I think it was back in March, The Chosen? How many of you saw that on, on television? Anybody see it? No, not many. Let me go to page two. I can't be the only person in First Pebbis Felton who saw that. Okay, I see. Sharon Ellis said, Sharon Ellis said she saw it. Sharon Ellis. Okay, anybody else? Okay, then I have something for you to do at your leisure. Uh, I, I know you can go to YouTube and you can search for the chosen. And it will take you to this eight-part series on the life of Jesus. I believe it's eight. Is that not correct, Jason Gish. I believe it's eight. And it will be worth your time. Now, each episode is an hour thereabouts. So it's like going to the theater, except you don't have to pay. And it is absolutely a magnificent portrayal of the life of Christ. And I would encourage you to look at it. It's the chosen. Now, I don't want to mess up anything for you, um, but I will tell you uh, there's more to come. Uh, Year two is coming in the fall, Uh, probably year three. I don't know how far they're going to go with this, but the story does not take us all the way to the resurrection. So you might want to get in on it this year before the next year comes out. But I bring that up because one of the most powerful episodes is one that covers this event where uh uh, peter falls at, at the feet of jesus it is absolutely powerful overwhelming in fact it was very emotional to watch it the portrayal of it when the realization comes over peter and you see his face and he realizes that he is in the presence of of holiness And he falls on his knees. Now, there's a lot more to that story. And obviously, like a lot of movies, there is some elaboration there that we don't know whether it really happened exactly that way. But it is close enough uh, to be okay in my camp. So I would encourage you to look at it. And when you get to this event in the life of Jesus, then you'll remember what I said about it. Okay. Well, let's go on to verses 12 through 26. And uh, I've entitled that uh, Forgiving and Healing. Now, this is a little longer passage, but I'm going to go ahead and go all the way through 26. And uh, then we will come back and look at it. Verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, it's around the Sea of Galilee, a lot of little villages around the Sea of Galilee a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, I want you to let that one sentence float around in your mind for a minute. This one who has come to him is a leper and what is it expressly forbidden for anyone to do touch the leper and Jesus does that so he reached out touched the man I am willing he said be clean and immediately If you've got your Bible, underline that word. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. Sure. (laughs) I mean, he he meant it, but nobody's going to pay any attention to that. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There's retreating again. Verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, uh, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Oh, You know they're sitting there because they're just soaking it up. They're loving what Jesus is saying, right? Nope, they're not. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. You gotta love this story. You just gotta love it. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law stood up and danced and clapped and applauded and said, way to go, Jesus. Thank you for healing this man, right? Nope. They were thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The next word there it is again. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Um, if I had been a, a Pharisee, I, I, I've got to think at that point that I'm going to say, whoa, whoa. And maybe they did, because you notice it says everyone, everyone was filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things, gave praise to God. Maybe that at least temporarily included the Pharisees. I don't know if it did. It didn't last. When they got back with some of their buddies, they were persuaded, perhaps, to not be impressed with Jesus. So giving and healing. Verse 12, there's somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, lots of small towns and villages around the Sea of Galilee, probably not far from Capernaum in the northern half, perhaps on the eastern half, a leper with a severe case of leprosy. How do we know it's severe? Because it says he was covered. He was covered with the leprosy. So that's the scriptures way of saying this is not a like case with a couple of scabs. This man is probably badly disfigured, completely covered with open, leprous sores. He would have been he would have been frightening to see, repulsive to see and to smell. And I would imagine as he made his way to Jesus, any crowds who are around Jesus quickly pulled away so that they wouldn't get too close uh, to the leper. Um, I really like to let my mind think of what would it have been like to have been there, to have seen this. Often when I read scripture, and and I encourage you to do that, think about, don't just see the words, but visually try to imagine how, how did it look when this happened? So I'm seeing a badly disfigured, horrific, repulsive, man i'm hearing voices saying get away from him get away from him and and others may be yelling at the leper i don't know but there no doubt were gasps in the crowd when people realized that this leper was in their midst And, and so when he falls on his knees before Jesus, and, and ultimately when Jesus touches him, this is an unbelievable moment. And people standing there, I, I, I can, I'll be shocked when I get to heaven and inquire about some of these details if we do anything like that while we're there. Uh, to ask, maybe, hey Peter, did uh, did the crowd gasp when Jesus reached out to touch the leper? And I fully expect Peter to say, absolutely. And I was the biggest gasper of all because this was just not done. You just did not touch one with leprosy. Now, like many diseases, leprosy has uh, levels or degrees of severity. Some of you have, uh, are, are people who have survived cancer. And maybe your case was really bad. Maybe your case was not quite as bad. Uh, But anytime you have the C word, it's reason to be very concerned. So like that, leprosy had levels of severity. But there was always a progression, almost always a progression from a start to bad to worse to death. And so this man is in bad shape, according to the words of the scripture. Now, another thing about this, um, he's in town, and that's not allowed. The lepers were cast out to live in caves and remote areas, not allowed to be with their family, not allowed to come into town, totally dependent upon others to provide for them, either by begging some remote place or maybe a family member would bring food and and put it somewhere and after the family member left the leper would come down and get the food can't all i can't be sure about all the details but what we know is this this is an an unbelievable moment in the eyes of the beholders so leprosy is very real but what we want to also understand it's also a picture it's a scriptural picture of what sin does to us sin causes pain, sin disfigures, sin deadens, which is what leprosy does. Sin separates us from family and friends, uh, employment, uh, worship. You you cannot worship in the synagogue. You can't even get close to it. You can't worship with others. Leprosy deadens, and that's what sin does. Sin deadens our senses in our relationship with the Lord and that's what that's why so most lepers are deformed Why many they lose their fingers or their toes or ultimately their feet or their hands because they don't they lose the feeling in their extremities and so when they are going about life because they can't feel things they hurt their fingers their toes their feet and infection sets in and Ultimately they, they will lose some of their limbs and may even die as a result of the of the infections. And that's what sin does. So leprosy is very real as a disease, but it's also a, a vivid picture of what sin does to us. Now uh, the law prescribed what to do uh when leprosy was discovered, and that was outcast, you're gone. You have to, if you see people coming toward you, you have to cover your mouth and say unclean, unclean, so that there would be warning for people to go around and be as far away from you as they can be. But the law also prescribed what to do when a person was healed, which was rare. It's interesting that the law prescribed what should be done, but did not provide any power to bring healing. So Jesus reaches out to the man. Well, let me tell you what was required, and then we'll see it coming into the words of Jesus. What was required if you were healed or thought you were healed of leprosy? You were to go to the priest so he could inspect you. And then secondly, you were to make a sacrifice of atonement for your sins. So that was the two requirements if you felt that you had been healed from from leprosy. So here's this leper he comes and he falls to the ground and he begs Jesus I know you can but I'm not sure you will now how did he know that Jesus could I'm I'm guessing the word had spread Jesus had already healed other lepers maybe some fellow lepers had come back and said to him we got healed go find this Jesus maybe he'll heal you also He begged Jesus. He knew Jesus could, but he just wasn't sure Jesus would. So he's not fully convinced yet of Jesus' compassion, or perhaps he is so filled with the knowledge of his unworthiness, of his own sinfulness, that he can't imagine that anybody would have any care or concern for him. So Jesus does the unthinkable, uh, drew gasps, I believe from the crowd, as he says, I can and I will, but as he reaches out and touches the leper, I can imagine people seeing that about to happen. We're saying, no, 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 don't do that, Jesus, don't do that. Even some of his own disciples, no, don't do that. You know knowing Peter the way we know Peter. I'm glad Peter didn't tackle Jesus to try to keep him from touching the leper, but Jesus reached out and and he did the unthinkable and he touched the leper and, and he healed him. I am willing to be healed and he healed him instantly. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't a gradual healing. Jesus didn't say, now go home in about four or five weeks. You should be healed up. He touched him and healed him completely and totally immediately. And the crowd was absolutely stunned at, at what he had, at what he had done. Now, Jesus says to him, in, in, in keeping with the law, go immediately to the priest and offer the sacrifice that the law calls for. And, and he did. And the news spread, and uh, the crowds continue to come, drawing many, many more who are coming, we think, based on what we read in the Gospels, primarily to see miracles, but also to listen to the words of Jesus, but again we read Jesus withdrew and uh, went to a place to pray, as he often, often did. Now again, the reminder: if Jesus withdrew, um, I need to do the same thing. Now, uh, as he taught, back in verse seventeen, the religious leaders were there, and the power of God is there, and healing takes place. So, or, um, I'm I'm sorry, verse 12. So now we're going to go to verse 17. So we've, we've looked at, um, forgiving and healing, and we've got some more. Now, I love this story too. I don't know which I love better. I love all these stories. This one's incredible. Um, I've often laughed and thought, who owned this house? Uh, what were they thinking? Did they protest or did they just watch in awe as, uh, as these four men did what they did to get their friend to Jesus? Many have called this cooperative evangelism and I think that's a good, that's a good sign. That's a good title for a sermon. Cooperative evangelism. Four guys bringing one to Jesus. Well, we find the combined effort of some friends who brought their friend on a mat. They must have loved this guy. He must have been a special friend to them. Uh, so they brought him to Jesus, couldn't, they probably made an effort, please let us in, and the crowd wasn't budging. Um, they said, no, I got my spot. I, I had to work hard to get this spot. I'm not moving for you to get inside. So um, the guys climb up on the rooftop. It was no doubt a ladder, leaned against the house, maybe stairs, probably stairs because often people did their bathing and washing their clothes on the rooftop. It's a flat roof, not like our pitched roofs. It's a flat roof. Uh, They got up there and they began to break up the tiles and they break through and they lower the man to Jesus. And Jesus saw the faith of the five. Don't forget the man on the map. They saw the faith of the five and uh, Jesus forgives his sin, which is the greater need. Now, The religious leaders are incensed of course they're always looking for something and this time they think they got it who is this man to say your sins are forgiven only God can forgive sin now that's a true statement when the Pharisees said that that's a true statement only God can forgive sin however Their failure is that they do not acknowledge that God is standing right in front of them. God in the flesh, in the presence of Jesus, standing right in front of them. So they question his authority to forgive sin. Now, Jesus knew their thoughts. So he proves to them that he has power to forgive by healing the man. And the healing was instant and total. Now, this man's been lame forever. And you know, when a person's unable to use their limbs, that those limbs, the muscles on those limbs, atrophy. So uh, this guy uh, probably had thin, not much, if any, muscle substance at all to his legs. And, and so Jesus heals him and what happens immediately he gets up and he's healed completely so again it's not like okay go home and uh, check into a physical therapy program and pretty soon you'll be able to walk (laughs) no jesus said get up and you're healed and and he was healed immediately and it was total so what we've now seen god is in the house god is in the house um This is an amazing event in that place. So, you know, if I'm the homeowner, I'm amazed and I'm thinking, I I don't, do I even want, do I ever want to fix my roof? I don't want to forget what happened here, but yeah, they probably had to fix it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus' disciples did that. It'd be just like Jesus to say, Hey guys, before we leave here, go up and fix the guy, fix the man's roof. I wouldn't be surprised. But again, I'm just dreaming that's not in scripture. Now, the lesson here Jesus is, one of the lessons Jesus is teaching is that forgiveness is more important than healing, although you would never know it from our prayer life, would you? We spend a whole lot more time praying for healing than we do for forgiveness or for lost people to come to faith in Christ. There are a lot of things about the old prayer meetings that I miss And getting together as God's people, sharing a meal, having a prayer meeting. Um, But you remember them. I remember them. And I I confess, um, very rarely, very rarely did anyone at prayer request time raise their hand and say, Pastor, church, I've got a lost friend. And tonight I want the church to pray for his salvation. Now, that happened once in a while, but it was very rare. But in every prayer meeting, without exception, numerous times we request healing for someone. And that's not inappropriate. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That's not inappropriate. You prayed for me when I've been sick. I prayed for you when you've been sick. And we're not going to stop. That's very appropriate, but I've often wondered, why is there not more balance in our prayer lives in praying for people to come to faith in Christ? Um, Let let me give you a verse that helps me remember the importance of this. Matthew 18.8, Jesus said, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. So Jesus is in this parable is giving, uh, giving a picture in which he says it's better to limp into heaven than to run into hell. I think we would agree with that. Paralysis is nothing compared to God's punishment. So let's keep praying for healing, but let's not forget to have some focus on the lost among us and, i'm pretty confident everybody knows at least one person who needs jesus and let's let's pray for that person or those or those people and i'm not saying you don't i'm sure you do but uh, when we pray together let's remember the lost among us i wonder if anybody said there is a lot of amazement but i wonder if anybody stopped jesus and said since i've seen that you forgive sin would you forgive me I don't. Know. I hope so. I hope so. So anyway, one of the what an incredible story um, of of forgiveness and healing. Before we leave that, before we go to the story of, of Levi, um, <clears throat> just talking about prayer. I, I think I may have shared this with some of you, maybe with all of you. But I've been on a lot. I've been on a number of trips, uh, mission trips to Moldova. Some of you have been also. Um, because mine was a teaching ministry, I usually had most of my evening, I taught in the day and most of my evenings were, were free. That's when I did my studying and grading and, and getting ready for the next day. One night, um, they asked me to come to their prayer meeting. They had a weekly prayer meeting, four floors below the room where I stayed. So I went down the stairs, um, to the prayer meeting and the place where they met was very small, very small, but it was jam packed shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot. I mean, the room was just packed with, with people from the church. Um, uh, mostly young people, younger, younger couples, younger families. And so they began sharing their prayer requests just, just like we do. And the man seated, a young man, actually he was a teenager seated next to me would translate the prayer request into my ear. And we, we were there for well over an hour in that prayer meeting and every prayer request, every prayer request until we got to the end was for the salvation of a law. I've got a friend I go to school with who's law. I've got a neighbor. My husband doesn't know Jesus. My wife doesn't know Jesus. Uh, Not until the final prayer request when the leader said, is there anything else? One person raised their hand and said, I can't remember if it's their mother or father, but a a relative is sick and I'd like for you to pray for them. And, And we did. And I was astonished, absolutely astonished an entire prayer meeting focused on praying for the lost. I think that's called the beginning of revival. Okay. Let's, let's look at the next section I've entitled calling and eating. Um, It's the call of Levi and uh, then the banquet that they had at Levi's house. I don't think we can finish this. Uh, So, let me just let me just pause there and what is like tax collector tax collectors had a reputation and it wasn't a good one it was a reputation of a thief and a traitor and uh, this particular tax collector is called by jesus to come and be one of the disciples and i think we can assume on solid ground that the other disciples were not thrilled that Jesus called Levi. And we also know Levi by another name. And that name is Matthew. And he is the author of the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. So we're going to pick up next time with uh, the calling and eating, the calling of Levi. And the dinner that Levi threw for his uh, for his tax collector center friends. All right, I've enjoyed every minute of this. It's been good to be with you, and so we'll have prayer. Any any um, anybody have a closing comment? Push your thing and speak. All okay. right, let's pray. Father, we do pray for for Bobby. Thank you for his good report. Thank you that he indeed may be home at this moment or will be going soon. And uh, others, Father, who need a touch of your hand, I pray for you to do that in their lives. And, uh, Father, we all know folks who need Jesus, and we lift them up to you today. And I just thank you for tune up, and all those who joined us. Bless each one and their families and encourage our hearts in these days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.